and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us talking, get us imagining, and get us connected. Perhaps even inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we've made the connection. Our topic today is finding our voice and the journey of Reverend Susan Sparks in her uh, her her adventure and journey in finding her way in who she wanted to be and how she wanted to express herself in the world, who went from a trial lawyer to uh, a minister and along the way also had comedy as a through line. And this is a friend of Rick Bernardo, our co-host today. Hi, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. And Susan and I met years ago as we were both – Involved in comedy and spiritual religion kind of things. Welcome, uh, Reverend. Uh, we're glad you're here. And you are the minister for the uh, the Madison Avenue Baptist Church, correct? That's correct. You got that right? Great. It's a New yes, York City one. Good morning, everybody. It's good morning. That, that Madison Avenue in New York. Just down the street from the Empire State Building. That's correct. I'm sitting in the sanctuary of the church uh, right now, actually. Are you the first woman who has... Um, been the minister there? I am. Lori, I love that you asked that. Thank you. Yeah, it's we just celebrated our 175th anniversary this year, and I am the first woman in that 175 years. Only some of the Maybe, years. Yeah. Could be the last, too, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, first for sure. You were sharing earlier that it was always in your heart to be a minister. It was. Uh, I, I actually grew up in a very conservative Southern Baptist tradition, as um, you know, we can talk about. I'm I'm in an American Baptist tradition now, which is a much more progressive uh, family part of the Baptist world. But I grew up in a very conservative Southern Baptist tradition where they still to this day don't ordain women. And I remember even at like an early age, five or six years old, I would on Saturday nights take all my stuffed animals and put them in a corner and make up sermons, funny sermons, interesting, funny sermons that I knew was going to be better than the Gandalf out of Lord of the Rings looking guy that was going to be in the pulpit the next day. Jeez. And that was, you know, I, I mean, I, that seems to be a call to me. I don't know. But, I love it. It's like know, a Calvin church, and Hobbes ministry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the church, the church shut that down pretty early on. And so, you know, what do you do when you're six? You don't, you're not exactly a rebel at that point. So I thought, all right, well, mm. I'll just not do that. And did, did, fast forward 20 years later, I'm a trial lawyer because it's basically the same job, just different clients. I have a question. <laughs> I have a question for you about shutting it down um did you did you find that as early as six or was that something a little later when when did you realize that the church um you had a role for you that didn't match what it was in your heart yeah it was at six it was i remember it vividly it was in a vacation bible school class and we were all sitting around those you know little tiny micro tables that you do when you're six yeah, coloring yeah. and the teacher said now let's talk about what everybody wants to be when they grow up you know somebody wanted to be a fireman and somebody wanted you know all the little girls were mommies you know if you're very aggressive maybe nurse which mm-hmm. God bless, that is one of the holiest yeah. callings there is. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got to me and I was like, I want to be a preacher. 
and the whole class burst out laughing. And oh. I remember the, the teacher said to me, she goes, well, and I was going by Susie at the time. She goes, Susie, um, yeah, well, you know, God does not call women to be preachers. So what's your second choice? And you what's know, your I, fallback? <laughs> what's your fallback? You know, and if people, I'm sure your listeners that resonates, it doesn't yeah. have to be a religious call. You know, so many times in life we get told no mm-hmm. for, you know, a, a, a path, a, a decision, a desire, a yearning. And the world will say no, but that doesn't mean that you have to turn away. Right. So that was a long lesson. It took me most of my life to learn. Gotcha. Now you met Rick um, when you were studying to be a minister. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. At, a, at a bar late at night, and no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been, um, but yes, we. Uh, my the end of my first year of seminary, I was really struggling with how to bring comedy into the church. I was an active comedian doing the nightclub scene in New York and in seminary, which can we just pause and let everyone <laughs> so share, bad pain, yeah, share my pain in that moment, right? And was that but union? There, that was a union in New York. and Union Theological his, his, Seminary, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as progressive and uh, arts-oriented as they were, the professors had no idea what to do with this idea. They thought I was a zoo animal, um, you know. And so I started looking who out there, surely somebody in academia is, is marrying, you know, humor and religion. Somebody's got to be doing some substantive work on it. Yeah. And lo and behold, I find a guy um, out at, uh, out in San Francisco named Dr. Doug Adams, who was literally teaching a summer school class on the Bible and humor. So I got in my Jeep Wrangler and I drove across country. I just oh my left <laughs> and I showed up and lo and behold, there was Rick. And I, Rick, if I remember it, you were, a, you were one of the teaching assistants in that class. I taught the, this whole few uh, weekend course with Lizanne Bassam. Uh, she and I taught uh, on preaching and comedy. It was like how to bring stand up. Uh, how do you bring performance skills into your sermons? Uh, and so how you and I first, contacted is I got an email from Susan uh, saying I'm 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 not I don't have the formula for how to merge my ministry and my comedy on stage especially and so there that was a whole conversation uh, about um, maybe the implicit ministry in all of that Jesus hung out with people and told stories and I said if people even just get word that you're in seminary They'll make the connection. You know, you don't even have to spell it out necessarily. But anyway, we, we hit it off uh, over a number of days in Berkeley, California, as uh, Lizanne, a friend of mine who passed away some years ago, uh, and I both uh, led this course. I remember it well. And I and I also I, I remember uh, I think you had introduced me to Doug, I believe. Um, also, that's how I had Doug Adams. So I had learned about him and learned about you and. That was a real transformative summer for me. It was a blast. And yeah. tell me your journey after that, after you you saw that and, and you were part of a group that, that could blend the two. Where did you go with that? Well, the next step was to figure out um, what to do with the comedy. And there was, you know, one piece of it was the pulpit work. But one one of the other pieces was the stand up piece. As Rick mentioned, it's you know very tough to do the open mic scene and get up and go, "Hi, I'm a Baptist minister. How's everybody doing? You know, have you have you had your two drink minimum yet?" That, that's funny, um, right there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, 
And then about that time, I started doing a, a kind of a search of what comedians out there might be clergy. Uh-huh. You know, what, what's the odds of that? And lo and behold, I find Rabbi Bob Alper, who is a <laughs> rabbi that is doing is a professional stand up and he was opening in New Jersey. And so I thought, all right, you got to be kidding. You just can't even be serious. So I go out and I meet Bob and we totally hit it off. And the next thing you know, I'm opening for him. And then 9-11 hit. And right after 9-11, Bob calls me and he goes, I think we need to do a tour with a Baptist, a a rabbi and a Muslim comic. Mm. And, you know, as Bob loves to tell the story, you know, the the answer was, well, what other ideas do you have? (laughs) But 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 that's where the Laugh and Peace Tour was born. And so for the last, you know, 20 plus years, the three, three of us, different Muslim comedians, but Bob and I being kind of the constant... Uh, Jewish Christian presence have been all over the world using that piece, you know, using comedy to build bridges. So that was the really, that was the piece that made it work for me. I can, you know, putting comedy in sermons, that's rhetorical skill. You can learn that. You can figure out how to write in a way that's honest to your voice. But the way to use the stand-up piece, the pure art of stand-up in a kind of spiritually significant way was, that was the hard link. And the Laugh and Peace Tour is what got that link for me. And, and tell me how you, what you sensed happened in this experience, in that your religious leaders that are there to help people laugh and heal. Um, is that a healing process, the humor? Is that part of what draws you to it? Very much. I think there's two elements to it. One is the visual just the visual yeah. of us on stage together is enough. Honestly, I've, I've learned over the years that if the audience can see the three of us on stage laughing together, smiling together, obviously good friends, that's enough. That's the ball game right there. That's the us. But, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and on top of that, to me, the icing is the actual stand up pieces. And we independently, each three of us are on stage separately and then we get up together but we don't talk about our religions so much. We don't talk, we don't proselytize at all. What we do is talk about our daily lives. You know, everybody's got the ant that drives them crazy. What's your favorite <laughs> food? What happened when you get stuck in traffic? And through our own individual stories, they realize what we have in common. And that's the goal is for people to walk away and realize, I, I don't care if you're Muslim or Jewish or Hindu or Buddhist or Christian, we are human beings we have the same experiences. We have the same fears. The same stuff keeps us up in the middle of the night. And we're all in this together. And that's what I hope and I think our show has done over the years. And my, uh, that is awesome to hear. It underscores how much of comedy and even spiritual life is in the implicitness of things. It's the pointing to. It's not. You don't even have to spell it out. But just the there's just painting the frame uh, to set it up what what we have in common. There were some years where I produced uh, multicultural comedy competitions with, with some of the same purpose, just to implicitly have us all on stage joking about our commonalities in in very different angles. And this is beautiful what you're what you're saying, and it's so much a part of life. Uh, again, yeah. comedy and spirituality. I'll give you a quick example, Bob loves to tell a story about him learning Hebrew, classical Hebrew, of course, in seminary. So he goes to Jerusalem and he wants to try out his newfound language. So he gets in a cab and he tells, takes a ride. And at the end, he says to the cab driver, what he thinks is, please let me off here. 
And the cab driver bursts out laughing. And he goes, do you know what you just said in Hebrew? And Bob said, what? He goes, behold, here I descend. You know? <laughs> and <laughs> you don't have to be Jewish to understand that. You know? This is a, this is a human story of translation and language. Yes. You know, it's that kind of stuff. I got to say that to my cab driver next time. <laughs> uh, what what it all brings to mind as you talk about hope and you talk about you know creating a sense of us and a creative um, relatedness is that so much of our society right now is based in fear and other uh, and how to create bridges that go beyond that fear. I think it's an instinct, a tribal instinct to to be around folks that are us but creating the us uh is 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 something we almost have to retrain our brain or allow our brain to be open to um, right i saw a greeting card um recently and it had these two like little 1950s ladies in their little skirts and their their cigarettes and one's puffing on a cigarette and turns to the other and says well one of us is right and the other is you <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought, well, if that in America down to the ground, yeah. you know, it's like the, it's like the San Andreas fault has yeah. just jumped out of the ground and into the hearts of mm -hmm. every person in this country, liberal, you know, moderate, conservative, whatever. Yeah. And we can't come and we can't break out of that. And I, I guess that's why I keep leaning back into humor and the arts, because it jars us out of these very rigid ways of seeing things, ways of seeing people, ways of seeing you know, uh, circumstances, ways of seeing experiences. Part of the humor for me is always in the surprise, you know, that you're going along one, one angle and all of a sudden you take a sharp right and go, Oh, that, I know that road. That's fun. That, that, yeah. that allows me to laugh with you because there's a recognition, a surprise, a delight. And I don't know if we have enough delight in our lives right now. And that, that humor brings so that. That's so true. Um, uh, I don't know. Do I have a time to tell a short story? Yes, you do. Or, yes, you um, do. I, my husband and I are big Harley riders, and we found out about that years ago. We had to stop for the night, and we stopped for the night at a hotel, and or shouldn't say hotel, motel, uh -huh. and we got turned away because they thought we were Hell's Angels. Oh. <laughs> now, granted, you know, we were wearing black leather and, um. you know, um, fake tattoos, what most ministers wear on vacation. Um <laughs> But the woman thought that we were hell's angels. And I'm like, we're just, I'm a Baptist minister on vacation. My husband's a retired federal prosecutor. Come on. And she said, the Bible says it's wrong to lie. Oh, my gosh. And well, I was point. like, whoa. So I left and I got my little business card. We checked into another motel. I brought my business card back that said Reverend Susan Sparks, senior pastor, Madison Avenue Baptist Church. And I put it on the counter. And I said, Bible also says judge not and walked out. <laughs> But, wow. you know, was that very nice? No. But yeah. here's the thing. She starts laughing and the two of us start laughing and she goes, well, I guess there's a little hell's angel in all of us. <laughs> I love that. Whoa. <laughs> you know, and there's that moment where you're laughing the ridiculous nature of how we judge each other. That's a beautiful story. And I'm going to leave it there for the end of this segment. But I want to make sure that our audience knows how to reach you through your website, which is SusanSparks.com. And your church that uh, does live streaming that folks should know about as well. Um, I'm just going to give the letters. It's M-A-B-C 
nyc.org. And I'll give it again at the beginning of the next segment so that you can learn about the church as well as um, Susan herself. We'll be right back. Good morning. I'm Lori Fitz, your host today, along with Rick Bernardo. We want to welcome you to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And I'm glad you've joined the conversation. Today, our topic is finding our voice, and we're going to be hearing more about the journey of Reverend Susan Sparks, who started out as a trial lawyer, who studied comedy, and then became a minister and is the first female minister at Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York. Uh, And we're so glad to have you here today, Susan. You bring um, such fresh perspective and great stories. Oh, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. And I was remembering uh, conversations we've had in the past, Susan, uh, and everything in our earlier segment circles around and points to uh, how comedy also functions in truth-telling. It's kind of like you're sneaking up on the truth, but with love. and You're, you're looking for a clash. Or, like there's a burst of laughter that comes from a clash of perspectives that all of a sudden is like, whoa. And uh, there's a wonderful quote from Quincy Jones. He says, I've always thought a big laugh is a loud noise from the soul saying, ain't that the truth? And I think comedy functions in a role of truth-telling such that there's joy, there's love, and with that comes some grace and freedom after Mm -hmm. that. And all your stories point to that. Mm, Thank you, Rick. Rick shared with me that you're a a breast cancer survivor, and I worked with the American Cancer Society for for many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, people would say to me, well, you work with the Cancer Society. That must be really depressing. I was like, no, um, amazing uh, heroism um, and people searching for truth. Uh, and what does it all mean? I mean, we're, we're all <laughs> going to have an end date. <laughs> and, and sometimes the cancer patients that are going through it have a greater joy of realization of life and opportunities. And um, they, they can guide the way in ways that support what does it mean to be human? And I have to imagine that your journey for hope and your journey for connectedness, some of what you learned through the through the challenges of, of surviving cancer, and, and I don't want to um, take away from all of the challenges breast cancer survivors face in terms of the treatments and whatnot, but there is something um, about getting more connected through uh, dealing with a chronic illness. Did you, did you find that to be true for you? Well, in, the ba- in the Baptist church, uh, we say amen with mm-hmm. the hands in the air. So I'm saying amen to what mm-hmm. you just said. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and I'll, I think it, it's, it's a, as a cancer survivor, but also as a minister, what I've learned over the years is that people yearn for humor. Mm-hmm. And the harder the times, the more people tend to lean into it. At yeah. least that's been my experience. And I'll, I'll share two stories. I mean, one, I'm a breast cancer survivor, as you said. And what what you learn over time is that to find a place of uh, of joy to be to laugh in a place of pain mm-hmm. is just the strongest statement of solidarity and the strongest statement of strength that I think one can feel. You know, I I went in to get tests right before the surgery and a lot of scans. And the last scan, the technician came in and he goes, "Well, we're going to do a liver scan and then we'll be done." And I was feeling surly. And yeah. kind of sorry for myself. And I said, well, fine. Just know I had a 
beer last night <laughs> and deal with and it. the guy yeah the guy was like oh my gosh you know what is wrong with this woman anyway he goes and does the test and he comes back and he's staring at the floor and looks terrified and he says i'm sorry we don't usually share the results on the spot but you have the early stages of bud light syndrome <laughs> <laughs> and in that moment i was like what is that and then i dawned on me you know what he was talking about and the two of us laughed and in that moment i just stood a little straighter do you know and i walked out of that hospital a little straighter because we laughed in a place of fear and pain yeah and it was so huge and and if, and you if felt you connected would, it, you weren't alone i felt felt connected and and I, if you will indulge me, I'll share this other story from the minister standpoint. What I found in funerals is astounding about how humor connects us through pain and grief. First funeral I had down in Staten Island, open casket. I was terrified. Walked in. The person who had died was 96. Is a woman who never left the house without perfect hair and makeup. So I walked in and her daughter said, would you say a prayer over mother? And I'm like, of course. So I put my hand around the daughter, put the other hand in the casket on Mary, the, you know, the woman who passed arm. Mm -hmm. And the second I touched it, I was like, oh, which is not a pastoral thing to do. No, but it's (laughs) it's a human reaction. It's a human. Well, but, and the the daughter said, what is wrong with you? And I said, well, your mother's arm is square, square. And there was this momentary horror. And then she burst out laughing and she was, oh, I should have told you. She reached in and pulled out from her mother's sleeve a box of hair color and said mama was scared they wouldn't have her color on the other side. So we're burying her with Miss Clearall 431C5. <laughs> and you know what, Lori, in that moment, it's like people were just crying, laughing. And then all of a sudden, those tears of laughter morphed into tears of sorrow. Oh, for yeah. losing this great woman. And then all of a sudden somebody told another funny story and they morphed into wow. t- tears of laughter. So the connection mm-hmm. that humor created mm-hmm. with the grief and the tears and the laughter and the whole community there was astounding. And yeah, just the power in that moment. What what I love about that is how humor can allow us to open our feelings to to the, the full range, right? You can start, it's sort of like the entry. (laughs) It opens the door that allows them, okay, it's safe here to share all of it. And I think another problem that our society has right now is that we do stuff our feelings. We don't deal with them. I I had someone on one of the shows say, you know, if you're not crying every day, something's wrong. (laughs) Because you're not in touch with some really big things that are going on. And perhaps... One of the gifts that that humor gives us is that chance to cry, and and there's yeah. and to underscore there wouldn't not have been that humor or that perspective unless everybody was fessing up in some way. Like this is what happened. I this is why I was shocked, and this is what I did, and this is the hair color, and like just being authentic alone. Uh, there's there can be a bond, and I love the specificity yeah. of no, it's this hair color, <laughs> exactly. Right. And right. Yeah. Uh, no. there, uh, I probably will ask for that as well, only with my ashes, <laughs> right? Like, honey, she was not going to heaven with roots. That was not going to happen. But I, but I love what you said, or Rick, both about um, this whole idea of wholeness and being honest of where we are. One of the things that I Again, kind of at the core of why I believe humor must be in the church. I mean, it's not just it's, you know, a membership tool to get people, you know, to have fun. It's 
and it's not to get people to laugh in a sermon. <laughs> so this mani- a, manipulative, yeah. <laughs> um, this is a this is a, I, to me it is a, almost like an organic genetic thing that has to happen because to me we check we tend to check ourselves at the door of our church like ninety percent of ourselves like we check our coats you know we love to bring in shame and anger and all that stuff but the idea of our joy our humor gets checked at the door and so what I try to encourage people to do is bring all of it the tears the anger the resentment the self doubt and the laughter and the joy and put it on the altar because it is all of it is holy all of it is welcome and we can't be healed unless we give god all the pieces i love so i love what you're talking about that connection yeah Yeah, uh, that humor brings this is this is a good time to point out is is the sign still in front of the madison avenue baptist church that says laughter is carbonated holiness is that still there or that's Anne lamott and i just wanted to bring that up that's that's a, a good reflection i love that Thanks for bringing that up, Rick. We, um, it is out there now. Uh, we have this marquee on, just for your listeners who don't know our church, we have a marquee sign out on front because we're on Madison Avenue, so we have a ton of foot traffic. We don't have a steeple, so we have to have some way of catching people's attention. So we put these signs outside that are thoughtful or poignant or funny. You know, one, as Rick said, is laughter is carbonated holiness. One recent sign said, what happens in Vegas is forgiven here. <laughs> That's um, a good one. <laughs> one said, one of my favorites was, um, the secret to life is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure, which I love that. That's beautiful. That's um, beautiful. But my all-time favorite was, honk if you love Jesus, and text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> are, I think I remember that one. Those, those are all yeah. so beautiful. You know, before we go to break, there's just one thing that just strikes me about all of this. And when you were mentioning about how there's not laughter and joy in in in, in some um, in some realm of thinking about religious, there's a religiosity that's like, no, you you can't have humor, or it, because that ultimately is felt as disrespectful. It is disrespecting. But how beautiful it is that you're turning um, humor into holy. And and what is the holiness that allows us to connect? What is the holiness that gives us the aha and, and, and the sense of um, something bigger can be discovered through humor, which gives a dignity to humor. And it makes me wonder, when did humor not be, have dignity? You know, yeah. when did we take away the dignity of humor? Uh, and well, as, as we've, I mean, I've said all along, humor can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen a lot of comedians <laughs> use that to tear people down, mm-hmm. uh, to attack people. Right. Humor can be dangerous, but so can sanctity. And so what I, 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 what I hope, and we all, we try to advocate here at Madison, and I think a lot of comedians are trying to do is use humor as a bridge builder, use humor as a place that is a, humor is a, a tool of respect um, and a humor that lifts people up, not tears people down. I mean, to tear people down is too easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, that's just, that's l- very lazy comedy in my mind. Well, it's not even, I don't even think it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's, right. That's it's, the it's point. Not. If, it's not. If people aren't laughing, it's not funny. <laughs> right. Well, but, but the problem is people do laugh at angry And humor some sometimes. do, yeah. That, and you know? that's but, twisted, yeah. And, well, yeah. and I think the anger is what we're sensing in terms of feeling that anger of an us and them gives an empowerment um, 
Yeah. You can make fun, and and we've seen this in politics, of people that have disabilities. You can make fun of women. You can make, And suddenly that gives permission for some of the stuff that isn't so pretty to be okay. Right. Um, and, well, and well I, let me leave you with – oh, I'm sorry, Lori. No, go. No, no, no. Please do. I'll, I'll leave you with this because I know we're closing this segment. This, this is my two-line summary of kind of why I do what I do. If you can laugh at yourself, you can forgive yourself. And if you can forgive yourself – you can forgive others. So the idea of humor bringing new perspective on our own hearts before we go out and take that judgment on others. Oh, that's beautiful. And it also relates back to putting that uh, business card down. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's fun. Yes. That was funny. Go to susansparks.com. That's her website, just the way it sounds. And her church is M A B C N. YC.org, Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City. And we'll be .org. Dot yeah. org. And we'll be right back and we'll have more fun with Susan. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, joined by Rick Bernardo, who's also hosting today. That's me. And we have the wonderful Reverend Susan Sparks sharing her journey in, um, oh my goodness, whose phone is that? Oh, it's mine. I apologize for that. I usually turn my phone off. Susan! We're just singing in a little tune. Yes, yes. Welcome today. It's for me. Oh, yes, it was. Actually, actually, it was God calling. So... (laughs) Say you're doing a wonderful job. Uh, tell God job. I'm busy. Tell God I'm busy right now. Nobody's, nobody's here today. That's right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of humor and God and, and God calling, um, question for you about how you brought your humor into the church and that trajectory. I have to imagine there was a, a set of experiences that allowed it to come to life um, at your church. Mm. Well, you know, Madison was easy. Uh-huh. My church here. I actually, I've been here 23 years, Lori, which is oh kind of hard to believe. And I came as a student during seminary and never left because I fell in love with it. And I fell in love because it was a diverse, lovely, welcoming family that was open to joy. And I mean, to hire somebody that's a comedian, I mean, these were warriors. <laughs> these that's were awesome. courageous people, right? But what I found, what was hard for me in the beginning was it, the idea in theory, like, uh, when I was in seminary early, one I remember a graduate student telling me, don't put humor, don't put your comedian work on your resume. No legitimate church will ever hire you. <laughs> and and that, you know, that kind of stuff was what I was up against. So um, if you would uh, allow me to tell a quick story. Please, please. I, I, was, I was really struggling with what am I going to do? This is my call, but I can't, I can't be in the pulpit without bringing this humorous voice. This is who I am. And so I ended up having an opportunity to travel, and I was um, in Calcutta, and I worked with Mother Teresa for about a month. Mm, my goodness. And I spent time in a place called Sheshubhavan, which is her orphanage. And I remember vividly the first day I was there, walked in, tons of kids everywhere, very, very hard visual. And I sat down, and a little girl just comes out of nowhere and crawls in my lap. She's like five years old. And one of the nuns comes over and she says, this is Anna. And she's been blind and deaf since birth, but she loves to laugh. And in that moment, it was so jarring to me, that story. I just went, what? And I laughed and Anna put her ear right up against my chest, felt the the kind of uh, vibrations of laughter and then squealed with laughter herself. 
And we went back and forth like that for what seemed hours. And it was in that moment. It was like God dropped a neon sign. Humor and spirituality, humor and the church are in desperate need of each other. Look at this little girl who has nothing in terms of Western standards. And yet in this place where she's never had the gift of sight or sense or sound, she exudes joy. It's almost like a reminder of that spark of hope that each of us has given and the world tries to beat it out of us. And so it was in that moment that I realized the call was that was that's exactly what I was meant to do. So I got back on British here, came home (laughs) and just started trying to bring humor in the church, kicking and screaming, which it basically has been. I love the fact that she put her ear to your heart. There's something to that, you know, as Mm. you as you laugh, does it open our heart? Does it connect on that? And and there's I gotta mention one thing, Susan. I'm not sure everybody appreciates unless they've been on the path of comedy, for instance. Although we all are in our lives because it's just part of life. But to do it intentionally, uh, to have that call and response, which is what comedy is, basically. You know, I say this, you laugh. But how to arrange that so that you can evoke joy from people? takes an incredible amount of practice and discipline. It's like it's like channeling tidal waves or something. Like how do you do that? It takes practice and it takes a lot of humility because you have moments falling on your face. You go, well, that wasn't funny. Maybe this will be funny. You know. So it takes some discipline and studentship, which is a big part of any ministry and being a disciple. Thank you for saying that, Rick. Um, it's true, and I know you know that skill as well. Um, I think what I've figured out over the years for preaching is that you start with humor in the beginning, whether it's a story or something lighter to get immediate rapport and trust from people. Hmm. I mean, I found that I actually started studying uh, stand up as a trial lawyer because I realized juries reacted to that. I was down south. I was one of the few women out there. And those good old boys would spin these funny stories and the juries would love them. And so that moment of trust and rapport, people's shoulders drop and they're willing to listen. And so, you know, for example, I think about sermons that are hard hitting. You know, our church is a very, very um, progressive, open. We are welcoming and affirming and we are very behind, um, including everyone in the church. We are we have about 60 percent people of color. We have a huge diversity of um, uh, nationalities and folk that are in the congregation and I give hard-hitting sermons on race, on LGBTQ, on welcoming people. And I, one particular story when there was uh, during COVID, when much of the racial violence was happening, I told a story about a parade in Southern Minnesota, <laughs> which may resonate with your listeners from Whalen, Minnesota, W-H-A-L-A-N. Mm-hmm. And down there, they have the standstill parade which I thought was hilarious is because all of like the majorettes and the fire trucks and everything else are parked by the side of the road and everyone else walks by it. And so I told that, I told the story about the standstill parade and then used that and people are laughing and we had a good time and they were enjoying it. And then I said, and that parade is a good lesson for us because it's our time to move. And I took that phrase and I started talking about things in life where we needed to move. We needed to be inspired. We needed to take action. And it leads people into harder, more difficult topics. But humor 
pave the way for there to be trust and safety for people to hear it. And then they could hear things that maybe they're not as comfortable with. I love that story. And I, I can imagine it in Southern Minnesota. <laughs> My father's from Southern Minnesota. <laughs> it rings true to me uh, of some of our unique uh our unique celebrations of life. There, there's so many yeah. little parades in Minnesota where if you have a bicycle, you're in the parade. Yes, <laughs> right. But right. It, it brings to me, though, a bigger topic that I wanted to, to share um, and, and have you give us some guidance on. Um, we are in a very tough time as a society. You know, we're uh, how do how do we keep our humor during this election year? It's a tough time. You did a call to action during a time, COVID and and challenges uh, that we looked at some really hard things and did some beautiful uh, support for like, we can't keep doing this. We've got to be committed to DEI. We've got to be committed to diversity, equity, inclusion. And the backlash now is on the other end of the continuum against diversity, equity, and inclusion where we're losing education and we're having culture wars. And it, it's just a challenge. You know, during yes. this year, yes. how, how do we how do we cope? How do we bring at, at your book on grace? How, how do we bring the grace of humor during a really hard year? Well, thank you for that question, Lori. Um, it is. I mean, I'm finding that I, I think this is going to be a year of preaching about trauma for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not it's not going to be that specific of a topic, but it's definitely going to under. I mean, people are traumatized right now. Whether it's Democrat or Republican or anything between, people are terrified about what's to come. And I think, you know, it's it's such a hard, we're so, as you said, uh, we're locked down in our different uh, places and ways of seeing things and places of being. The thing I keep coming back to as a comedian and maybe even more as a storyteller is trying to find common ground. And one of the things we talk about here is when you read the newspaper, and you read an article that just makes your hackles go up yeah. and you get angry, <laughs> yes. um, then change the demographics in the, in the story. Change it to a person of your religion or change it to a person of your ethnicity or change it to a person of, you know, uh, of, in your family. Right. I was thinking that, how, you know, how to replace that with someone that's very close to you. You know, what, right. what does see, that look like? See what that, how that makes you feel. Um, the other piece that we've talked about here and we're trying to do bits and pieces of it is where are the easy, where are the kind of low hanging fruit, the easy common ground to find music and food. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you start there and we, I was, I was on the subway a couple of weeks ago and I realized, you know, there's all people in the subway all over the map. And even in New York city, there's, you know, uber conservative, uber liberal, and everything in between. And everybody's in there. Nobody's making eye contact and everybody's angry and they're sitting in their seat until the little musician gets <laughs> on the car. And then all of a sudden people look up, somebody's foot starts tapping, smiles come over the whole car. And then the musician steps out and goes at the next station and everybody goes back into their place. And I don't know technically how we do that. How, what do we do to use that to to heal our nation. But I, I do think we just, we have to start with realizing that there are things we still share. 
you know, I wrote a whole blog about the fight in our family over do you put marshmallows or do you put brown sugar and pecans on your sweet potato casserole? You know, and pecans. And it just, yeah, oh, exactly. What kind of lower that, life form? Exactly. Would put it's it, it, it's more Midwest. Midwest do the marshmallows, but it's got to be yeah. pecans. Got to be. <laughs> but, but it's the same type of thing. It tore, you know, tears our family apart every year. And so, yeah. you know, why can we not? Where where can we figure out? Like, is it what? What do we have in common? What are our concerns about those toppings? Where do we link in? You know, and where do we find a way that we can actually, even at the most base level, start conversations? And uh, you know, at this point in time, I think it's what do we what do we hope for our children? Right. What is the ne- what do we hope for the next generation? What scares us? Let's talk about topics that are just at the base level. We may disagree on where we go and how we uh, we address these things, but let's just start with agreeing that these are concerns for us. That's the best I got. I yeah. love it. I, I and and we all right now are just looking for hints and guesses, right? Cuz right. we're all traumatized as you said. But I love the notion of music and food and hospitality, that there may be something that we can do to celebrate our connections, celebrate our humanness, celebrate what brings us together and not what tears us apart. Right. Um, and thank you. I, I've heard and we've tried here bringing people of different um, just different demographics, you know, um, um, name the demographic. It doesn't matter. But put people around a table, say, bring your favorite food and a story about your family, and bring your favorite music. I love that. And so, and you just share something about your culture, and your, and it bonds people. And you don't even get to politics, or you don't right. get to, you know, the, the kind of religious overtones that make people but, but it's go in, into a rage. But in the story is the revolution, right? <laughs> and the revelation, you know. Right. Now, how do we get on that path, though? This is a good time to mention on, on the SusanSparks.com website, right at the top of one of the major sections is a, a quote from Naomi Judd, uh, the country music artist, that laughter like music is a universal language. And Susan Sparks speaks this language like no other. So, oh, thanks, Rick. Languages in common uh, are again. It's not so many. Uh, just, just. Inf- it's not so much always information and words. In one of our shows, we had musicians on, and and we had this revelation as we were talking: is that you're, you're never really afraid when you're singing. There's something about singing that takes fear away, and you're connected to the other person you're singing with. And I think it's right. true with laughing. You know, you're not really afraid when you laugh. Right. There's some... I, go ahead. I, I think that's so true, Lori. And, and Rick, I'll go back to that quote. Um, I was privileged to be able to do a television show with Naomi back in the day. And as I'm sure most people know, she's um, she's passed. But I will say this. I watched her, mm-hmm. both Naomi and her husband, Larry. But Naomi on that show could sit down with anybody from any background, from any political leaning, from any place in life. And there was this presence she had that was welcoming and safe. And she would create an environment where people would feel so comfortable talking to her and share. And it was like on set every single day, you would watch this place and you think, why, how do we recreate that in our own conversations? Well, you've given us lots of food for thought in terms of facing the year ahead. And perhaps the, the heart of all of it is how to be welcoming and how how to create the space for trust and how to create the space for, for sharing our stories. 
Such yes. great tools and practices and uh, paths forward. And this has gone too fast, so you're going to have to come back. Uh, but oh. for folks who, who want to have more and are not done yet with learning about Susan Sparks, you can go to susansparks.com. You can also go to her church website, um, which is the Madison Avenue Baptist Church in New York City. So it's M-A-B-C-N-Y-C. Dot org highly recommend it just sound it out <laughs> <laughs> and and again thank you so much for sharing your stories your heart your wisdom um, oh. and we we hope you'll come back and share some oh more. thanks Susan thank you thank you Lori and Rick I was honored to be here today well we're glad you were and we're gonna look forward to more and uh, you've given us some ideas to face the year ahead with humor and grace and opportunity to make it a better place so thank you thank you and remember wavy gravy said if you don't